Fresh Out the Oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie and popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today we are continuing our mini-series, Can't Stop the Peeling, covering all the films... Written by Jordan Peele. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Emmett, how are you doing? I'm feeling great. Having a wonderful time. Love the movie. Love being here. How are you doing? Hell yeah. I'm feeling good because we are honored to have a special guest today. He's a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, perhaps best known to our audience for being just like us, a hard-hitting film critic. Please welcome DeAndre Weaver. Hello, everyone. (laughs) I am so happy to be here. I love the title, Can't Stop Appealing. How's it going, DeAndre? How are you doing? I'm doing good, you know. I'm out here vibing, enjoying life, you know. We're in this pandemic, but this pandemic's not in us, you know. Wow, that's a good way to look at it. What is, was your previous experience with Jordan Peele? My previous experience with Jordan Peele has been, like, Mad TV. I didn't know that, like, he was, like, a real oh, okay. filmmaker. And I think it was, like, when this came out, I was, like, I don't know if I had done something earlier today, but my cousin texted me, hey, yo, you seen a new Jordan Peele movie? I'm like, oh, is it funny? He's like, actually, no. <laughs> it's actually quite terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Like, it's terrifyingly bad? He's like, no, it's great. It's just scary. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's see what the showtimes are. So I want you to know that I saw this movie at 1030 at night on a random Thursday. <laughs> I just remember like rushing to the theater. I said, I got to see this new movie because I had nothing better to do with my life. I kid you not. It was myself and an interracial couple. And I did not know the context of this movie. <laughs> that was it? That was it. No that one else in the, the theater. theater. <laughs> I think that's the best way to enjoy that film. Oh. Oh my gosh, what a wild ride. That's that reminds me, I saw Sorry to Bother You. I'm not sure if you guys have seen that film. Yeah. Uh, with Lakeith Stanfield. I saw that at like a 9.30 a.m. showing. <laughs> and it was me by myself and a young black woman by herself. And we were sitting like four seats apart. And it was just us the whole movie. <laughs> Which was another good time, I would say. <laughs> Have you seen Key and, the Key and Peele stuff too? Or Keanu, the movie? Any of that? I, I've watched Key and Peele maybe a little too religiously. And oddly enough, I've not seen Keanu. I forgot that that's also him. Yeah. I would say give it a watch. It's incredible uh, if you like Key and Peele. Wild to think that he had already filmed Get Out by the time Keanu was released. That's pretty awesome. He was yeah. just sitting on it and nobody knew. <laughs> He's almost like the Beyonce of film. He'll just like drop something randomly, you know, mm-hmm. middle of the night. You don't know what's coming. Well, for real. You definitely don't know what's coming in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Today we are talking about Get Out. This movie is about Chris, who's the main character played by Daniel Kaluuya. He's dating Rose and they've been dating for four months They're living in New York City, and they go to meet her family for the first time out in, like, upstate or, like, the country of New York. Interestingly, it was filmed in Mississippi or Alabama, I believe, but it's supposedly in upstate New York. But that does not lend, like, a whole other layer of creepiness to Mm. it. Yeah. So they go to meet 
her family, she's white, white family, and she hasn't told her parents that she's dating a black guy yet. And when they get their weird stuff starts happening. <laughs> and you want Chris to get out of the house the whole movie. <laughs> and it takes him a long time to do so. The red flags get bigger and more distinct. But like they are there for moment one. The stats on this one, it was... Directed and written by Jordan Peele, sole credit for both. The second film that he wrote, the first he ever directed. Also a score by Michael Abels, which is the first film he ever made music for. Oh, wow. Which is pretty crazy because the score on this thing is great and truly terrifying. Did he also do the score for us? Yes, he went on to do Us and also to do another one of our favorites, Bad Education. Oh. This film runs one hour and 44 minutes either of you have any thoughts about the pacing of it it's really is like a roller coaster ride in the best way like watching this i was like man where where does stuff happen i was waiting for that third act because like mm. you know once it gets going it gets going it's the perfect mm. like road trip movie i don't know if y'all did this when you were kids like all right kids take out two movies you can oh, watch on the yeah. road trip and you know you're gonna watch those things like five times depending on how long this trip is. Uh-huh. And I just feel like, you know, once you get to the third act of action and violence, you're just like, all right, I'm home. Mm-hmm. I got through all the other stuff, you know? Honestly, that's kind of how I felt <laughs> watching it in the theater the first time, is I was so scared and so freaked out for the whole first, like, hour and ten. As soon as Chris starts killing people, I was like, oh, thank God. Okay. Well, like, now this, now, like, we're going to get out of this, and it's finally going to be okay. Yeah. There's something about watching the hero kill the monster in the horror movie that is so cathartic. Mm. I think especially as, like, a black viewer, it is a little cathartic to see your black hero defeating the racist. Like, Mm -hmm. it's... It is this high catharsis every time I watch this movie. I love a horror movie where the, you know, the hero actually gets to defeat the monster. It's really cool. I also think about the pacing, though, that it is so well paced and something that, like, the first time you're watching it, you're not really thinking as much about the pacing. But on a rewatch, you really are. And you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. So am I going to be bored watching this movie? Never for a second. Perfectly paced. The film is really just sort of the memorable scenes. Every scene in it is one that you remember, and there isn't really, like, filler between all of it. Yeah, it really is like a bag of red starbursts. Like, because whenever I rewatch something... Oh, is that a controversial opinion? No, I love red starbursts. Okay, good. I'm on the right podcast. Glad (laughs) that we're all sane people here. (laughs) Rewatching this, I'm such, like, a big... I have this deep fear of rewatching movies because I ruined Black Panther by watching it, like, six times in a span of a Mm. month. But, like, I was like, I don't want to ruin this. But, like, it really... I'm just, like, sitting here and I'm just like... Why I wonder how much he shot and how much he cut because it really Mm. is everything is so essential and so just visually and emotionally interesting to watch. He shot it in 23 days. That's crazy. Yeah. I also want to say they have like Mm -hmm. the fave red bag of starbursts where they're like, hey, we know you like the red ones, but then they throw (laughs) in like the red tropical and like the red sour the red watermelon all these other weird reds and you're like no i just want the original red yeah oh i highly disagree i stand the the red the fave reds bag i want all of the myriad different versions of the red starburst 
I respect your wrong opinion, but I'm glad it is out there, you know? No, you're going to give me Starburst 100% pure. Don't cut it with some other weird tropical berry. Give me the pure straight from the gummy factory Starburst. To me, the favorites is the exact same thing as the original because they have the same amount of the one red I like in there. And that's what I'm buying it for. Ooh. This film was released February 24th, 2017 by Universal Pictures. It was produced, however, by Monkey Paw, which is Jordan Peele's own studio, and by Blumhouse, who are known for making sort of popular, cheap horror films. They're founded by Jason Blum, the studio behind like Paranormal Activity, Insidious, mm. Happy Death Day, mm. the Halloween remake... Like, things that are sort of a little, if it's fair to say, like, a little lower aiming than this movie, but are, like, very commercially successful. Mm -hmm. And then after this movie, anytime you see a trailer for a Blumhouse movie, they're like, from the people who brought you Get Out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, oh. So that's why everything is brought to you by the people who brought you Get Out. Yeah, Blumhouse really has that, like, I would say like school baker, school, what is that? Uh, they sell the goods outside of the school and it's baked goods, bake sale, the school bake sale. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle with that. Um, not like the, the school bake sale, you know, model of filmmaking. It's like, all right, everyone gets 10 bucks, make the best thing you get. Whichever one comes out the best, we're going to say that we were totally responsible. <laughs> Even after the success of the brownies or whatever was the most successful one, everyone still gets 10 bucks. We're not deviating from that structure. Mm. I was watching this. I said, Blumhouse financed this? Mm-hmm. And I looked back and I said, yeah, they are just in one house for the whole damn movie. They did not give them any money for this. <laughs> I mean, that's like really an example of when the limitations set up such an opportunity for the like whole artistic vision. Because like... Sure, if they had more money, they could go more places, but it all being in that one house makes it so claustrophobic and so creepy. Yeah. To go off of that, they made this film for a budget of $5 million, which is very little money in the film world, which means by our calculations, they would have needed to make, you know, around $10 million to break even. That's sort of the whole secret to the Blumhouse successes that they do them so cheap that even if they're like moderate successes, they make a profit off of them. This film made $253 million. Wow. It was the 10th most profitable film of 2017. It remains one of the most profitable films ever made. And it is also, I know this is a lot of qualifiers, but stick with it. It is the highest grossing original debut film of all time. Oh. So it is the highest grossing first film by a director that is like just an original screenplay, not based on anything ever made. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the value of a good idea. Because mm, mm-hmm. when I watch this, you know, I think about... Because I think everyone has a million-dollar idea, but I think having the actual skill to execute that is, like, a whole different thing. I think mm. anybody could have came up with the idea of, like, okay, black guy goes to the white girl's house, and the white parents are evil. 
Like that's something that I think everyone's thought about before. The idea, the way that he actually did this, and it's like a good concept, and it's well executed. Like the value of not just a good idea, but actually having the ability to execute it. Like you know, you can make millions off that for real. Also, wild when you consider that this was a R-rated movie, which normally is like way less of an audience than any other rating. I feel like some people might have snuck their kids into this one, you know? Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's like they saw it and they're just like, hmm, gotta teach my kids about the dangers of uh, the suburbs. All right, Johnny, <laughs> uh, how old is this kid? <laughs> oh, he's like 18. Sir, that kid's at least 11. Hey, mind your damn business. This kid's 18. <laughs> gotta teach him about the danger of suburban life. This movie was critically acclaimed, 85 on Metacritic. My pull quote is from Tasha Robinson at The Verge, who writes, Conspiracy movies usually fall apart in the final act, but as Get Out progresses, it keeps revealing new depths to Peel's craft. The script is tremendously thought through, with minor details from the early going constantly revealing new significance. Like so much of Key and Peele's comedy, Get Out is refreshing in its naked, frank aggression about confronting racial issues with comedy, drama, and sharp, unsparing insight. Hell yeah. She is definitely right that mystery, it's almost like a mystery movie where you're trying to put the puzzle together the whole time. Yeah. And it is leading you on the whole time. Um, I may be thinking perhaps too specifically of WandaVision as I describe this. But it (laughs) is true that like, most mysteries fall apart, like can't help but be unsatisfying whenever you figure out what's really going on. Yeah. This one, like, it's the best part. I think it's funny that you mentioned WandaVision because I think this movie kind of broke modern film criticism in a sense that, like, I think Get Out was such a good twist and it was such a good mystery that now whenever you watch anything, people are just so hyper-focused trying to find stuff. Oh, interesting. Hmm. I've noticed that personally because like after Get Out came out everyone was just like oh what does the red whatever mean and like I feel bad for Jordan Peele because like he made this movie and he made his choices and now people are like so why was the wall white in the bathroom was that a symbolism for segregation like it's one of those things people are now so (laughs) hyper fixated on every single small detail a filmmaker makes and now mm-hmm. almost everything has to be a choice. I agree, but I also think he's like the best filmmaker to handle that sort of stuff because he really is like getting every detail down. He is the biggest film geek ever to live. Oh my gosh. Like truly and is it's like inspiring and incredible and like his his just like awareness of the history of the field that and just like you know homage that he's paying and changes that he's ringing on on themes from other horror films in the past is so cool and i like that even with this being his first horror film he establishes his own like signature thing like i know that like he said in interviews like i'm terrified of rabbits but what i didn't realize in this movie is in the first scene when uh lakeith stanfield's character gets abducted it's the run rabbit run music oh mm-hmm. and then the family has carrot cake for dinner and i was sitting there like it's the thing it's all rabbits it's all rabbits uh-huh. damn and when she's sitting there eating the the uh, fruit loops she looks like a weird little rabbit eating her eating her fruit loops with no milk she okay like a sociopath she takes half a bite of a fruit loop uh-huh. I, I could write a whole dissertation about that scene and why it just makes my skin crawl to this day uh-huh. but it is like it's rabbit like how she eats the food like 
it's not oh my gosh it's everything is rabbits and also i think that actress is so good in this part where you see her as like the cool enticing girlfriend that she's playing at the beginning and then you see who she really is and it's a totally different much weirder much creepier i'm actually legitimately mad that she was not nominated when it mm. came to acting noms for the oscars like mm. i always said like like daniel kalua does an amazing job but what she was doing was like that's a master class on mm-hmm. just how to play that kind of character yeah she was playing all of the layers at once and when she finally drops them with the keys uh it's such a it's such a good moment the scene where she is like totally stone faced like not moving her face at all but doing the intense vocal oh my god that is crazy and i and i think what's so interesting she was on i think seth meyers and she's like yeah you know people come up to me all the time it's like well you know she wasn't in on it right like she was hypnotized and she's like the one thing people won't accept about the movie is that my character was part of it mm-hmm. and i think that's like she should have got more nominations. I think that her character is just so interesting in that whole thing. I have my own fan theories about her and the brother, but like... Okay, so I have to say this. I have to say this. Now, there was a period of time where I was obsessive with this movie, and I would just go into chat rooms and like read blog posts about what people thought the thing was about. But this is the official DeAndre Weaver fan theory on Get Out. The mother and the father are siblings, and the children are inbred. That is my official oh. theory, and I do have evidence. Okay. The, okay. Okay. Both of them just have such weird. The brother has kind of a weird look to him. They're both just kind of crazy, and also it's just I don't know. It's one of those things they just have like I don't know how they integrate it in normal society. Like, the, when you think about the grand plan of this, the father had to marry or be associated with a hypnotist for this process to work. That's such a rare career field. So unless he just sought out hypnotists or his sister was trained to be a hypnotist and because of Aryan racial purity, I don't know. I mean, I'm putting the puzzle pieces, I'm going to put them together. You can, but no, I mean, that's real because like all those, all those Royals are inbred for that exact same reason. So that's pretty crazy yeah. when you think about it. And then there's a video. He's like, keep it in the family. I'm just like, yep. Inbred. It's there. I would like to talk to Mr. Peel about that, but I don't, I don't know if I'll ever get that opportunity. Oh, I really hope you do. <laughs> that's a good. That's probably the best way to start the conversation, I'd say. Well, you mentioned uh, award noms, DeAndre. This film was nominated at the Academy Awards for four nominations. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Actor. The only one it won was Best Screenplay, mm. which made... Jordan Peele, the fourth black screenwriter to ever be nominated and the first to ever win. Oh, my God. Yeah. There was a big culture war that I was reading about, which was fascinating to get this nominated for Oscars between like the younger slash newer members of the Academy who were championing it and like the older longtime members just like dismissed it as being a horror movie. Hmm. and resented it for like touting that it had a message and leaning into that instead of just being like we're a a dumb popular horror movie and the thing they said too is that like the older voters would not even see it like they were refusing to watch it which is maybe not like surprising but truly wild in wake of what happened with the hollywood foreign press association literally having no black voters i'm not Uh surprised like (laughs) Amazing that it got nominated as a horror movie for that much stuff because 
you feel like the academy like is so hates any genre movies and is like so resistant to nominating them it's almost like they only love the genre that is the oscar movie oh that's true that's true because the genre the like oscar movies are a genre it's a weird weird genre but it's like its own special thing i feel like this movie got people's hopes up too because now i feel like every year people are like is Lupita going to get nominated for us? Is Florence going to get nominated for Midsummer? Mm-hmm. People were talking about Elizabeth Moss in Invisible Man last year. Oh, and it's like, no, they did it once. They're never doing it again. <laughs> yeah. It was also chosen by the National Board of Review to, as one of the 10 best films of 2017 to be preserved. Oh, sweet. Along with uh, Logan and Lady Bird, two other movies that I remember we talked about that fact on. That's really cool. cool. It's cool that we've talked about three movies that like each series that we have has been preserved from the year 2017. Just what a strange factoid. Love that. That is true. I can say the next series will not have that. (laughs) (laughs) So it ends here. DeAndre, I think it's time to ask the question. Get out. Flop or bop? Oh my gosh. Number one top single bop. I'm a firm believer that when we talk about best picture, I think that a lot of times the best picture win is kind of controversial, especially if it's something that isn't remembered. Like, I'm sorry, like, what podcast is talking about Shape of Water right now? Yeah. I don't care about the fish sex movie. I care about the incest white supremacy movie. (laughs) Well, can I quote you on that one? Oh, please do. Um, Bold print, please. It's one of those things that people will study in film school. I just think 2017 in a whole was an amazing year for film. And I think when people say, what was, what were people talking about this time period? No point to get out. And Mm -hmm. the fact that it's what, 2021 during a Panda Express and we're still talking about it, like it speaks for itself. Emmett, flop or bop? It is 100% a bop. It's a bop for me too. It was my favorite movie of 2017 Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm always a little nervous about revisiting movies that I love, but I got to say, it really holds up. Yeah. I will also say this was my experience. I don't know about you guys. I remember this movie as being like great, but maybe not that scary. Mm. Like I was like, it's mostly a thriller. Like there's a lot of it where nothing even happens that in terms of like the horror violence and my experience of rewatching it this time was like truly just being absolutely terrified. And I was like, this thing is so much scarier than I remember. I just think my experience was different because I watched it on fall break and then I went back to my very, very white conservative college. And Mm -hmm. it was, and this is no joke, uh, one of the photographs that's in the establishing shot of Chris's apartment, my school bought that and put it in the student center. I said, gosh, I am living in this movie. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know, for me personally, I feel like that movie just confirmed so many things that I think Black Americans saw in their life. And I just mm. think beyond the sci-fi horror element, like it is a tale about racism and like gaslighting. It's like, no, like that that was the real fear. It's just like, and also thinking about the original ending for this movie. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to talk about that? I've always said that I think this would have won Best Picture if it would have kept the original cut. Mm. But I think it is better to lose Best Picture and give the Black audience some catharsis than to have us have a negative ending and win an Oscar. Because Mm. there's so much tension in that movie. And you're just like, can I please breathe? And when you, you know, I remember the first time I saw it, when you see those sirens, you're like, 
you already know what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. praise God for Lil Rel Howery because he takes mm-hmm. all the tension out of that situation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and then the original is just that it cuts there, right? That it's not Lil Rel Howery. It's like the police officer from the beginning. Yeah, and then it cuts to um, Daniel Kalu is in jail and Lil Rel is like, they're having a chat with me, like the, the prisoner visitation, whatever. Which is not that far off from the ending of Keanu. Yeah, honestly. Although that's that played normal. for laughs. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't. They do end in jail on that one. I remember in the theater the first time when the cop car rolls up, I was like, oh, that's the worst possible thing that could happen in this moment. And like, remember, like, the, like, being like oh he's really screwed now and then watching it this time being so relieved because i know because like i already know it's gonna be his friend well i think that is like the magic trick of that ending too is Uh that this film was seen by like everyone right like so many people came out and saw this and you know that there were people in that audience who don't believe in racism (laughs) or like don't believe that police are violent against black people and like vehemently oppose all the things this movie is talking about yeah but i feel like the magic trick of that ending is that when those lights flash like everyone in the audience is there with him and they all know like regardless of whatever they want to talk about on facebook like they know in that moment that he's screwed yeah yeah and I think that's also like what we've been talking about, like the levels that Peel is layering things in, because we've seen the cop at the beginning mm-hmm. who's harassing Chris, and then we see Chris call 911 and the call got cut off. Mm-hmm. So when the car shows up, you're like, oh, it's that guy. And also, I think just the relationship of like black people and the police is that when Lil Rel went to the police station, a black officer, not all them off, none of those officers were white. They Mm -hmm. all laughed in his face. And it's like, when you think about it, like a black person horror movie, who's coming to save you if it's not your own person? Because even when I watch it the second time, I'm like, Chris, if you call the cops, what what are you going to tell them? Mm. (laughs) Like, take the racism out of it. Like, yeah, my girlfriend is body snatching people. Like, what do you... How do you explain anything that's happened? Well, and that's what's so funny about Lil Rel's character, too, is when is he nails it from the beginning. He knows exactly what's up. He's been telling he's been telling Chris the whole time this is a terrible idea. Don't go. And every step of the way, he's like five steps ahead on the conspiracy, and it has it pretty much dead on. Uh and the first time you watch it, you're like, oh, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way it's whatever he says it is. And then it turns out he's completely right, too, which I just I love that character arc for him. Because, like, in our traditional movie, that is such, like, the black best friend trope. But Mm -hmm. I like Mm. he is elevated to kind of being almost the Benvolio of the thing. Like, hey, I'm right. I have somehow Mm -hmm. seen into the future. It's it's really (laughs) interesting. Yeah, he's so good. I love also just, like, how when the movie is at, like, the highest peak of tension, like, when she does the tap 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 and chris knocks out like right at the climax then it cuts to be like lil rel's movie for like 10 minutes yeah lakeith daniel and lil rel howie are also in judas and the black messiah you know someone said on twitter like you know daniel lakeith are like you know the new de niro and the pesci and i was like i think it's interesting that we have this ensemble of three very different men that have worked together mm. a couple of times and make something really interesting yeah truly let's talk about kaluuya for a minute because I think that, like, this run that he's on is maybe, like, unparalleled. 
he had been in stuff before this. I think most notably he was in Johnny English and then he was in this Black Mirror episode. I haven't seen any of Black Mirror, but I've, his is episode is supposedly like a real standout. The run, this is everything that he's been in from 2015 until today in order without any cuts. Sicario, Get Out, Black Panther, Widows, Queen and Slim, Judas and the Black Messiah. <laughs> Holy hell. Wow, like, that is wow. all hits, no misses, back to back to back to back. Talk about Michael Jordan in the 80s. Like, that's... For real. Damn. That's crazy. I don't know who his agent is, but everyone should be trying yeah. to get that agent. <laughs> Winding him up. But he's also, like, amazing. He is incredible. And it's not just amazing. It's that there's one thing of you being good at one thing, but it's the fact mm-hmm. that each character is so different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know about y'all. I did not know this man was from England until very recently. <laughs> I heard uh, an interview with him. I think it was for Queen and Slim uh, when Queen and Slim came out in the UK, which was like maybe like six months ago. Yeah, just like talking in his real accent and talking about being from London, which was pretty wild. And he also talked about how like he's very choosy with his projects, but he isn't a guy who really talks much in real life. And so like most people think of these very distinctive roles he now has, but don't really know like a ton about him as a person, Mm. which I guess is how he likes to keep it, which I can respect. There is something about staying out of the celebrity spotlight that does allow me to say you know because when you watch judas you're like okay this is fred hampton you know i don't know about i don't know that much about daniel kalua so it allows me to jump more into his characters because i don't know that much about him i read on the imdb trivia page in a specific scene where he had to cry they were doing like several takes like five takes in a row and jordan peele said of him in that scene that he was so good that the single tear went down his cheek at the exact same moment every single take. Wow. Isn't that wild? Just like a consummate professional. It's also like such a unique quality for a leading man, I feel like. Because, I mean, he is very handsome. Mm-hmm. But his thing, I feel like, is more sort of like his sly smile. Mm-hmm. And he's like a leading man who's sort of like quiet and knowing Mm-hmm. like more of an observer almost than a participator, especially mm-hmm. in this film, uh, a little bit too in Queen and Slim, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. Which is like such a unique take to bring to all these leading roles. That speaks to the more the modern idea of the leading. Because I think mm-hmm. you look at someone like Robert Pattinson too. Like it's not, it's not so much the whole like, ah, I'm a man. Look <laughs> at me. Look at my muscles. Like it's not, it's not as like, in your face about it you know yeah you mentioned lakeith who i love and he's he's also he's a yeah he is great in this he's a much smaller part obviously but he's another guy who i think is sort of like a chameleon just like you never know (laughs) what he's going to be doing whenever he shows up he is so good in this doing an impersonation of a much older person because it's clear that his character, mm. his real character, is like in his late 20s, probably, like like Lakeith actually is. But the old hypnotized white person brain that has been put inside of him is clearly like in his 60s. And he is walking like that guy. We never see that the old person version of that guy. 
But he is, you know that, like, when he's walked all, like, weird and hunched over and his arms at his side like a velociraptor, that he is doing some very strange thing to be that man and then, like, shifts out of it when he gets the camera flash. It's He's doing so much cool physical work to, to like, really make that role even creepier. Yeah, and I feel like if he didn't sell that part, the movie wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you can hear about this threat that's going to happen, but he is, like, the only example we have of, like, actually watching it. There's the grandparents mm-hmm. who were trapped in the bodies of Geraldine. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. not the, that's not her name. Roman is the name of their dad, I think. Which is also weird because that's that whole weird alt-right white nationalist thing, too, of being like, oh, we're descended from the Romans and all, like, the obsession with, like the architecture and all that crazy stuff. And they think that like death and glory is like the epitome of everything. That seems like, like, you know, the Romans would have done this if they had the capabilities. Well, also the lead characters names in this are Rose and Christian. So Uh, that feels pretty significant. That's true. (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying he's there with the symbolism in like a much more nuanced and interesting, but also bold and dazzling way than Simon Kinberg. I, I think about the granddad's character a lot because, like, the, the million-dollar question I have is, did he lose to Jesse Owens and then be like, I want Jesse Owens' body? Or was it like, mm-hmm. I have this body-swapping technology, sees Jesse Owens, is like, <laughs> this is who I'm going to use this on. That, it's, it's one of the, like, what's the chicken and what's the egg is just my million-dollar question hmm. with him, you know? Mm. One of the things that I think is so smart about this movie that I feel like we take for granted now is that they aren't hillbillies yeah mm-hmm. like they aren't redneck christian right-wing conservatives you know mm-hmm. because i feel like you hear the premise like they go out to the country they meet her family things start happening mm-hmm. and that's what you think but I, that they are like well-meaning white liberals who are <laughs> very aware of race tensions and like have a lot of thoughts about all of that stuff i think is so smart the whole movie like if the parents were like john goodman and kathy bates and they like ate fried chicken at dinner like all right something's up something yeah we'd we'd be like (laughs) yeah it'd be much more straightforward that way but i also feel like it wouldn't be as much of a horror story for the whole country if it was that either you know like it wouldn't be as much of something that can it's a, a much more frightening reflection on white people if it's like these people who initially look nice and well-meaning and weird white liberal people. I think the family itself is not aware of the racial undertones of what they're doing and in the sense that like it's kind of like the uh, tree remembers what the axe forget the axe forgets, you know. To yeah. them, this is and I think this is true of systematic racism in real life it's a monetary thing you know like Hmm. Hmm. the one thing that i always want to know about this movie is how much did they sell chris for because i can't really tell with the hand motions he's doing how much it costs but like at the end of the day the demand is black bodies and they're Mm -hmm. going to supply demand for a monetary gain so like even the guy who was trying to um Take his body. He's like, it's not a race thing. It's just your ability. And I think that just mm. speaks to the underlying consumerism and how something so capitalistic inherently is racist because of who mm. is taken advantage of from it. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. It's also like the weird sort of culture appropriation in that they like love all of all of the things about his body and like about the art he makes and about everything he does, but just like they want that to be them. Mm. I mean, that scene is like really the showcase. I feel like the, the auction scene where he's just like going around and meeting every single weird Mm -hmm. old white person and they all are doing something different and specific to him. Yeah. I feel like that's almost the point of like highest tension in some ways because you know you like feel like something the most is going to happen then and then later when something does happen it almost takes you by surprise because you don't like that scene keys you up so much for something to happen right then and it kind of does with Lucky Stanfield's character freaking out but yeah I feel like the moment where he goes upstairs and then everyone just oh. like stops and watches him like that's sort of the peak of the tension mm-hmm. because up until then the whole time like you're thinking something is going on but you don't know mm-hmm. oh also i can't take credit for this but i read it on letterbox but this is uh just another one of those details is in that scene when rose takes him out like to the lake and he like starts crying about his mom she's got like the red and white striped shirt and he's in a blue shirt and she like wraps her arms around his neck and it looks like an american flag whoa in that scene when she's talking that's to him. crazy wow okay i'm gonna be thinking about that for the rest of today that's insane. <laughs> i did not even notice that how do you guys feel about like the switch he makes from comedy to horror do you see like any of the key and peel threads still in this movie the, the thing about key and peel that makes it so good is that i think they have some of the best like what if scenario setups and i think this this is another like ultimate like great like what if scenario and i think it functions on a lot of like comedy principles like rule of three is used a lot in this visually i mean Lil Rel is the comedic relief but i think in the beginning when we don't know it's so nefarious like i know at least as a black viewer you're just kind of laughing at the white corniness you know like you're just uh-huh. like oh, of course you would vote for obama a third time you weirdo like it's just <laughs> when the dad says that black mold line i could not believe it there's <laughs> about the basement Oof. yeah like going back and watching it, i'm just like that's such a convenient lies and then darn black mold oh and the thing about the deer <laughs> the thing about the deer the thing about the deer is so weird i did not notice that until we watching this i said you sh- this was a neon red flag right here yeah that was wild. Also, do you guys think that it's the deer from the beginning that's up at the end? I hope so. I would, I would love to think. Well, no, because isn't the deer from the beginning a female deer? Well, I think the whole thing with the deer is it represents his mom because his mom was also hit and killed by a hit and run driver. Mm-hmm. And when he sees the deer, like that's when the whole thing starts for him. I would agree with DeAndre on the idea that there is like that what if thing is like so big. Of like, of like, and seeing through all of the different like weird turns that this concept might take, like coming up with this wild idea and then really just fleshing it out and like going for like really bold strokes with the characters and each one has their own weird thing that would be funny if the stakes were a little lower, but with as high as they are and as worried as we are about our main character, 
it just like yeah horror while laughing i guess i also feel like a lot of like a lot of the key and peel stuff is like already sort of playing white people or playing older people or playing different genders that's true too which is definitely like going on in this movie too Georgina also has a speech when Chris asks her about a feeling uncomfortable with a bunch of white people. She has this like, no, that's not been my experience. Not at all. Speech, which is the same speech that Keegan-Michael Key makes in Keanu, which is just a weird little connection wow. to that one. I also think like they're both sort of about surprises, right? Like both of them are kind of about making you think you know what's going to happen and then doing something different. The comedy and the horror. Yeah. Yeah. They both rely on that sweeping you to that false sense of security. Mm. You know, like, it's just like, all right, I know this is going to be. And it's like, bam, surprise. Nope. They're both also games of escalation of tension, too. Yeah, that's true. Comedy and horror are both, like, about ratcheting up tension and then releasing it to key moments. Can I ask, what was uh, the best scare for you guys on this most recent watching? It was the deer in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Because I see that false insecurity. I got so comfortable. I said, are they just driving? Now, I'm going to say it was like kind of late at night. I just yelled. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) It was like I was in the car. The deer was coming at me. I was like, oh, yes. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I was going to say the deer. The deer is really scary but i will go with maybe when he is when he's out at night to smoke a cigarette and the guy comes running up out of the dark at him Mm. is like just such a horrifying image and it like it lingers on the shot and it's coming at you which is such a cool effect that i don't think you get to see very often like how like the depth is really cool Mm. the feeling of being run at out of the night it's like you're in a nightmare you know and i'm sure Mm. that's what it feels like for chris as well and then he just like zooms past and you have no idea what the hell is going on so many sinister things happen in this movie it's such like yeah for real a a mood of a movie wade this is not the moment but like the thing that is most terrifying to me in this movie is the score oh (laughs) yeah is that horrible frightening like choral song Mm -hmm. that they do um and so like the opening with lakeith which is really scary like both the fear and watching the thing happen and because it's all one shot Mm -hmm. and he has like such a distinct frame knowing that they're like really dragging him and putting him in a trunk like that wasn't a stunt double you see it all in the one shot damn but I think the specific moment is probably when he goes to the sunken place for the first time mm-hmm. and the mom's voice gets like super deep and she does like the sink and then he falls into it right away. Yeah, that part's crazy. That was so terrifying. There's another moment in that. I don't know if y'all have ever experienced this. Like, I think the most terrifying visual in just my visual language is dark room tv static mm. like like it's a dark room and a tv just is on and it's like either that blue screen or static that is just the eeriest thing visually and i think in that moment where before he he goes back to him as a child i'm just like i don't know why that speaks to like the visual language that i'm accustomed to but that's like one of the hmm. eeriest images ever no i feel that that is it is a creepy thought and as you say it i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it another one of the key and peel like the comedy and the style of that is when he wakes up in like the dungeon and he's freaking out. And then it starts this like very after school special, like PSA about what's happening to him. 
it like cuts to this like very weird, very wholesome like planes and an old white man explaining calmly about the process they've done. Which feels a little bit like an homage to Donnie Darko and the part where the guy who is actually a sexual predator has this weird after school special video on the feelings chart or something Mm -hmm. do you see the connections there perhaps kind of kind of yeah i like that trope in movies of like the weird like poorly put together corporate videos yeah i think it's it's kind of just like i think taking mr rogers which to so many people is like the purest thing you can ever think of (laughs) and just like making it so evil i think will always be the funniest thing in the world when we get that reveal in that moment Mm -hmm. i guess is where diving into talking about the ending do you guys think that we need like the flashbacks to everything that had already happened when he like starts putting it together. That was the only thing I kind of questioned this time. Like, would we have gotten it when they just explain what is happening? Or do you need that? Like we see him talking to all the people he talked to and we see everything the dad said and the mom did. See the first time I saw this, I was like, why are you explaining this to me? But on the Mm -hmm. second watch, I think that flashback reveals. I didn't realize the first time it's like, why each person wanted his body because he's like you know the old guy right. wanted the, the golf hips and the weird pedophile mustache guy wanted to be cool and i'm just like and i'm that and i was like the worst oh he makes my blood boil um and i was just like oh this is why they wanted his body but also the idea that you would pay i mean it can't be a cheap process upwards of in the high millions just to play mm-hmm. another game of golf or i mean the case of the lady who i think is the creepiest to satisfy satisfy some type of weird sexual fantasy or like Ugh. just to be seen as cool one that you have that much disposable income but also that you're willing to basically kill another person just to satisfy that itch like uh i guess those people just have the money for it i feel like that's like probably exactly how rich people are yeah i would imagine i don't think there's any exaggeration in that at all i think if the technology was available there would be plenty of rich people lined up yeah like i don't think that people would be like oh I'm got, who could do that that's so horrible like who'd be like how much i got the down payment today <laughs> <laughs> and my question is like for real you think jordan peele went to a party he's like oh man this is great and someone's like so how much for your body I just want just want to know where this idea started, you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess he, he's been like a horror fan always. And I read that in 2013 is when this started, is that he met with a producer who uh, Keegan knew, and he was just like, here's a ton of my horror ideas, and pitched like a dozen of them. And then at the end, he was like, and here's one that you could never make. <laughs> and he pitched this movie. And then they're like, yeah, that's the one we're going to do. That's so cool. <laughs> Let me... Ask you guys this. This is just a little thought I have. I don't know. I want to hear what you guys think. So I remember when Us was coming out, there was like an interview with Jordan Peele where they were asking him if this movie, if Get Out and Us were connected in any way. And he was like, I have in my head some connections. I don't want to, there's nothing like explicit, but I have an idea for like a four horror films like a four film project of which these are the first two that are all sort of exploring different angles uh-huh as we record this the the next jordan pill horror film got announced for next summer for summer 22 
and is starring Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya again in the lead role. I hadn't thought that at all when I heard that news. I was like, oh, cool. They did great the first time they're back together. But watching the end of this movie, I was like, do you guys think that it's a sequel? Or if not a sequel, like, you know, just he is playing Chris again in some other movie? Okay, now, see, I'm going to bring in some some insider information. So it's funny you bring that up. It was a couple months ago, there was a breakdown on Actors Access, and Uh it was for this character for an untitled Jordan Peele project. I don't know if it's this movie, could be, but it was like this whole idea of like this nerdy guy that worked in a record store. So that leads Mm -hmm. me to believe, is it a period piece? Is this Mm. like a prequel? Is, Is it like Chris's dad looked just like him? I don't know. I mean... I have my own ideas about how us and Get Out are all connected, but mm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like a prequel situation where it's a period piece. That would be interesting. Yeah. I definitely think there is like rife opportunity for horror going back through the ages, not just doing it in the modern world. Yeah. yeah. My thought is probably no, it's not going to be a sequel. He's not going to be playing the same character, I should say. It doesn't sound like he wants to do a series. It sounds like he wants to do some that are all like loosely connected through some world device. And that just seems unlikely. But maybe. It would be cool if he did. I think watching the end this time, I was like, Rose might still be alive. Yes! I was also thinking that. I was like, <laughs> wait, I th- I remembered that he like killed her, killed her. And then at the end of this watch, I was like, oh, I'm not sure that she is completely dead. She's just mostly dead. <laughs> Because she gets shot in the stomach the first time, but she never gets more hurt after that, right? Well, he it, strangles her. Yeah. But, but, sh- but you can survive getting to- shot in the stomach. You can survive that. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't do it to the point where she dies. He stops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Do you think that maybe in this Kiki Palmer, Daniel Kaluuya movie, that he's playing Chris's underground twin? Oh, oh sh- it could be that because like okay I'm interested in that like if okay that's the marriage between the two things it's oh that person. oh that would be wild that would be so i hope it's that that's if amazing you don't know till the end like and it's mm-hmm. just like he's in a parking lot and him and lupita just like get mcdonald's and high five like underground twin high five <laughs> <laughs> i mean i would love to see it i i wonder if it's not like, if he's not playing Chris, I wonder how different of a character he's really going to be. If the film is going to be still, like, similar in tone mm, and truly. themes and stuff, you know? Mm, that's interesting. Not that I don't think he's up to the task. I just wonder, you know, they they made, like, such a distinct mark the first time. I wonder what is what they're coming back to the board for. Yeah. How do we let the audience know that this is not Chris? Yeah, if it isn't. Because you don't want like a Evan Peter situation where it's like, oh, oh my, my god, god. Yeah. You don't want to. <laughs> no, we do, we do not want that. <laughs> I'm uh, pissed. Ugh. We're talking about Chris. I guess I should ask DeAndre, who do you think is the protagonist of this movie? And what do you think they want? Oh, my God. See, that's such a good question. There was a point in time where I considered Lil Rao Howry. I don't know. I may be saying that wrong. I don't know. But I always consider him the protagonist in the sense that, like, he does move the story along. Uh He kind of is the accelerant in this plot. But I think in the terms of who do we see the story through, who are we empathizing with, 
who I think changes dynamically as a character is Chris, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts as to what he might uh, want over the course of this film? Yeah, well, okay. Oof. I can write a dissertation about this. I think what's (laughs) so interesting about Chris's character, I think it's the idea of wanting to assume the best out of people. Because I think Mm. that, like, in the beginning, he's like, do they know I'm Black? And she's like, it's not a big deal. And I think a lot of times, I think as a Black American... You want to believe in the idea that racism doesn't exist. You don't want to believe what you see in front of you is real. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of idea of trying to fight reality, and I think that's a real thing that happens because, like, she gaslights him so much in this movie. True. Like, she'll bring something up, so I was like, no, no, yeah. this isn't a thing. And this isn't, like, to know victim blame or anything, but, like, the allure of, oh my gosh, no, I'm just overreacting, I'm just being hypersensitive. There isn't anything, you know, malicious about that. And I think that's what it is. I think everybody wants to live in that world where a weekend in the country is just a weekend in the country. The maid just so happens to be black, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. The trap of this whole movie is, and I think not in Chris's character, but the whole movie is, and you want to believe that there are still good people out there. You want to believe. I remember even watching this the first time, I was like, I said, oh, she can't be in on it. She can't be in on it. And mm-hmm. I remember verbally being like, give him the keys, give him the keys. Mm-hmm. I I in the theater was like, gosh, darn it, when she, when she pulled the keys away. Because, you know, I think it's also the idea of like, I think you would hope that someone from your generation, like, okay, you're not like your parents. You That may be your parents' belief, but maybe you're not like them. It's mm-hmm. the idea, the, the idea, the black American dream, the idea of that racism isn't chasing that race neutral that post-racial american idea that would pass this you know mm. i think that's what he wants to believe but i think that's taken away from him in like a horrible way throughout this whole movie for sure well emmett uh you got a dissertation for us too i do not have a dissertation but i do agree that it is chris i really like the take that what he wants is to see the best in people mm. uh, i think that's that's really accurate. The thing that he wants that that drives him through the action of this movie, like instinctually, he wants to like get out of this situation. Mm. Like I think that like you can see in his body language throughout almost the entire film that he is like uncomfortable. His like mind, like the instinct that DeAndre is talking about of like trying to see the best in people, is in his brain and maybe his heart. But his body is saying, let's get out of here, dude. I think he really wants, especially with the with his girlfriend, he really wants to believe that she's at least like the one, like the one good white person in this scenario. And she is not. How about you, Wade? What do you think he wants? I read along the lines of like the one good white person that the character of Rose is sort of like written as uh, a rebuke of the white savior narrative Mm, mm -hmm. of like movies where there are a bunch of bad white people and then like one kindly one who the movie is about, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I do think it's Chris. I have less thoughts about what he wants than I kind of do about the change he makes, which I think is from inaction to action. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very Hamlet esque, a very classic. Yeah change because what we hear about him is that his 
mother was killed mm-hmm. and that he like sat there and didn't do anything. Uh, right. Truly, yeah. This is like his, his great regret, the thing that's haunting him from a kid. And when you hear that, it makes sense that he's a photographer, mm-hmm. right? Because he's become someone who's just observing the mm-hmm. world around him. Captures thing in still. Yeah. Who is, who is observing those moments, but not actively partaking in them. Mm-hmm. And then I think, that makes sense with the whole premise of the movie because you do want him to get out. Yeah. <laughs> like you want him to have left an hour before he does. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it makes sense that this is the guy who like would see these things happening around him and start to question them, but wouldn't be the one to like make the big bold move and protect himself in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think the change he makes in the third act and why it is so deeply satisfying when he starts killing people is because he's like finally getting involved yeah yeah that's the point where he's like i can't you know i won't sit by and watch it again i'm gonna go and like fight my way out of this and do this thing yeah and it's also i like that with the fight choreo especially the way it's done in this movie i think he fights so smart in that last scene mm-hmm. and i think it's really interesting because at the dinner scene it's just like Oh, with your genetic makeup, you would be a monster. But I think it's so interesting. He doesn't mm-hmm. win because he's stronger. He wins because he's smarter. And they, yes. Under, yes, they yes, underestimated yes. him. I just, the thing where like he kicks the door and the third time he stabs him in the leg, I'm like, that's really smart. I wouldn't have thought of that as someone's trying to cut off my air supply, you know? Yeah. And they do sort of set you up to think that it's going to be like an all out brawl because the brother at the beginning who is also really good, Caleb Landry Jones, also from the X-Men movies, who's like so creepy and constantly in motion in this. He talks about like knowing judo, right? And he like tries to fight him at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So you feel like there's going to be like some big confrontation between them at the end. And there is, but it's not like a battle of strength. Yeah. And that's again, like even when he's in the fight, I feel like it isn't until the moment where he kills the brother the second time Mm -hmm. and then goes back like after he's dead and just like really lashes out at him and, and makes sure that he's down. Like, I feel like it isn't until that point that he's even sort of like really acting of his own other than just like trying to keep moving, you know? And I think it's interesting that even in this situation where it's so justifiable, all the emotions you would be feeling, he still feels the need to be in control. Hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, because we talk about the sunken place a lot in this movie, the idea of like that passiveness. But even in his brawl against the Armitage family, he's still holding back so much emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's also interesting because his I don't think he really intended to kill anyone. He's like, I'm just going to knock you out so I can run away. Yeah. Well, I think he meant to kill the dead for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't. I mean, he deserved it, but... Yeah. But, like, what could he have really done to... Yeah. You know, he really just has, like, the element of surprise. He yeah. doesn't really have a better weapon with a deer head than the dad has with, like, a scalpel. That's yeah. true. That's true. And to be fair, if the if the house didn't catch on fire, maybe the dad would have lived? Question mark? I don't know. It goes through his head, though, doesn't it? Through his neck. Pretty gory. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It does go through his neck. Yeah. Yeah. So on this subject, there, are, I know we've been keeping body counts on some of these. Uh, there are seven people killed in on screen in this movie. I think two of them by somebody other than Chris, and then Chris kills everybody else. 
I still think it's so weird that he keeps her through the stomach. Yeah. Yeah. Like watching it a second time, it's just like, why would you, if you know that you only have control of your body for like 10 seconds, why would you not go for the head? But I don't know. That, because it's that, that classic, scene is really grisly. it's that ho- classic horror movie thing. You have to get that last, like always double tap. Like it's going to come back and get you again. I mean, the imagery in the choking scene is like so provocative. I think going like all the way back to Othello. Mm hmm. And also, I didn't know this until reading about it, but apparently it's, like, framed the same way as Birth of a Nation. Oh, crazy. Oh. The, like, old-school American blockbuster slash KKK recruitment <laughs> tape. <laughs> uh which is about a bunch of KKK members hunting down a black man who raped a woman. But there is like a shot of the black man who is a white dude in blackface, like choking a white woman. And it is the exact same shot as they use at the end of this. Damn. See, that's why you got to watch movies like that kind of like knowledge of cinema. I agree. But also you, you don't have to watch birth of a nation. No, no, do not. (laughs) No one hear that coming out of my mouth. Nope. (laughs) endorsed by deandre weaver okay well uh should we play bums the word here yes let's do it okay this is uh our little quiz game we like to play every week okay it is based on imdb who likes to recommend similar movies to the one you just watched so for every movie there are a more like this section sometimes the connections make sense sometimes very tenuous so today we're going to be looking at the six movies that imdb is uh recommending as being related to get out and um it's just sort of a you guys both play together there's no score there's no turns just trying to see how many of the six you guys can get to okay the first movie on this list is a 2019 horror film it is a film that also had some oscar buzz for a horror film but didn't end up getting any nominations was it midsummer no is it us it is us that is correct the first film is jordan peele's follow-up us that would make sense Okay, the second one on this list is 2018. IMDb has listed it in this order as drama, horror, mystery, which is interesting. This is a movie where you sort of think it's going to be one horror trope, and then it ends up being a different horror trope. Is it a cure for wellness? It is not a cure for wellness. That is a pretty good guess uh you know what this is actually also a movie that had oscar buzz for its lead actress but ended up not getting a nomination i'll give you that hint oh is it hereditary it is hereditary okay ari aster's hereditary which sets up to be like a creepy grandma movie and then becomes oh no sets up to be like a creepy kid movie i guess yeah i don't know truly haunting nonetheless okay oh wow this third film it came out the same year as Get Out in 2017. It is another horror movie that was also a gigantic blockbuster hit. Like, made so much money. Was Jason Blum a producer? No, I think this is a Warner Brothers picture. Interesting. It's a big studio one. It is part of a series. Oh, was it uh, the Halloween reboot? No. Um, it's a good guess, though. I think that 
that is Blumhouse actually. Is oh wait, Warner is it the Mummy reboot? <laughs> no. Uh, I I'm not sure if that was a big blockbuster smash. Oh yeah, not. you're right. That's horrible. <laughs> But, you know, this wasn't Halloween, but it did come out at Halloween. This was the big October horror movie of 2017. It's based on a novel. Hotel Transylvania 3. <laughs> no. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, Carrie? Uh, no, but you've got the author right. Okay. A pet Cemetery? Oh. It's staring at you in the face. You gotta... You're... Oh, it! Come on. It is it. Yeah, the description is... I couldn't have changed this at all without giving it away because it just says, in the summer of 1989, a group of bullied kids band together to destroy a shape-shifting monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a dead giveaway. <laughs> Did you guys see It? Any thoughts about It? I saw It with a very fun group of people. And mm. I'm not saying I talk. I'm a nervous talker. So... um <laughs> That, that movie... doesn't strike me as true of what I know at all about you, DeAndre. That's very surprising to me. <laughs> oh, when it comes to horror movies, like I'm the person if it's like a horror movie, like so. What do you think about this clown? I am the most annoying <laughs> person watching a horror movie because I'm like, please distract. I will distract myself from the horror. And I'm not saying that I gave live commentary for it in the theater, but everyone was in stitches watching that movie. <laughs> that movie was so scary. I dislocated my shoulder while watching it. Is that true? Yeah. I jumped so hard, my shoulder was like, oh, that hurts. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I was like, God. I had like, was like hugging my arms to myself really, really tight, and then I jumped really hard, and, and oh, somehow no. in that process, like, it slipped something. It was awful. That's insane. Sat there with my arm all, like, weird looking, and then slipped it back in. This next movie, the fourth one, is also a movie with a little bit of famous body horror. Uh. somewhat similar to dislocating your shoulder it is a 2018 film the only film on this list rated pg-13 a first-time director who is more known for being an actor oh quiet place yep oh wow damn a quiet place listed as drama horror sci-fi by the folks at imdb that's one of the ones quiet place Two was one of the movies that like critics had seen and reviews had come out and it was like about to drop two days before everything shut down. And now just no one knows when we'll ever see it. Okay. This fifth film is a 2019 film. It is probably known for being very long mm. among other things. Mm. It again, had Oscar buzz for its leading actress, but she did not get a nomination for this movie in this year. Oh, is it the um, is it the one about the people going to visit the parents in the creepy house? Uh, no, it is not. It is not the visit, but it is. Wait, that's a... not what I was talking about. I was talking about. I'm thinking of ending things. Oh, oh the worst movie ever made. Yeah. Oh, I really liked that movie. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Wait, we could talk about that <laughs> no, later. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you didn't like it. Yeah, uh, this isn't the thinking of anything's episode, but I will happily <laughs> trash that movie at any time. However, it did want me want a, I did want a blizzard after watching it, so... Yeah, it was very compelling ice cream ad. Yeah. Like... This is not that movie, Emmett, but this is a group of friends go and visit a place and then bad things start happening to them sort of movie. Is it Midsummer? 
It is Midsummer. Oh. oh, yes, yes, yes. Midsummer with Florence Pugh, also by Ari Aster, uh, directed Hereditary. Okay, this last movie is from 2013. It's a little bit older than sort of the other prestige horror movies we've been talking about. Is it uh, Cabin in the Woods? It is not Cabin in the Woods. It is a more sort of straightforward, old-timey, uh, schlocky horror film. Oh. Uh, I don't know if this will give it away. It is based on a true story. Is it the Hotel Amityville Horror? One. Uh, it is not the Amityville Horror. What did you say, DeAndre? Um, Hotel Transylvania 1. <laughs> it, is, it is not. It is a live-action film. <laughs> okay. Is it the original Frankenweenie? <laughs> Was the original Frankenweenie in live action? I believe so. I think, I think it it's is, stop yeah. motion. Well, I think there's an interstitial one that's live action. But whatever. This movie is the first film in a series that is still going today. The series is also kind of the only like horror cinematic universe. Oh. And then it has insidious? a lot of... No, it has a lot of successful oh. spinoffs. Is it... Annabelle, one of those? Annabelle is one of the spinoffs. Oh, shoot. Chucky? <laughs> no. Oh, Child's what is the Play? First? Oh, no. oh, oh, what is it called? Oh, no. Wait, is it called it is a- La Llorna? No, it is about a real-life couple. That first one called. Uh, and sort of fictionalizing their adventures in a series. Oh, The Conjuring. That is correct. I was struggling there for a second. Really? The Conjuring is in the same series as Annabelle? Yeah. Okay, Wade, weird. put it on the list. We have to do it. We have <laughs> to do it. I'll put it on it. the list. Yeah. I'll put it on the list. There's some other one, too, which is like a nurse, a horror nurse movie. I don't know what that one's called. Damn. Not St. Maude? Uh, no, but I, I do love St. Maude. I don't think I've mentioned that on the podcast yet. So We did finally see St. Maude, and it was good. Shouts to our cockroach queen. Okay, so there are the Conjuring movies, and then the spinoffs are the Annabelle series, the Nun series, um, yeah. and the Curse of La Llorona. La Llorona. Oh, all the same yeah, so I was right that that was in the series too. Yeah, you that's were. Crazy. I didn't know that until checking this out. Hot dog. Did we win the game? You did. You got six for six, which actually might be a first <laughs> since we've been playing this. <laughs> So, congrats to both. Okay, this is a section that I meant to do before we played the game, but I forgot about it. <laughs> it's where we say, if Chris is the protagonist, who was each of our favorite character other than the protagonist, our MVP OTC in this case? DeAndre, do you have a, a favorite minor character in this movie? Oh, man. What does OTC stand for? It's most valuable player other than Chris. Oh, okay. Other than Chris. Okay. A very prestigious category. I really do like the grandma, Geraldine. I don't remember what her name was. Mm-hmm. I like her just in the sense that, like, I think that actress is so talented. An underrated scare is when Chris, like, walks downstairs and she just, like, runs across the back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I just think that she's just such an interesting character that, like, Oh, I had the question of, like, since they're in new bodies, do they need the sleep or do they just actively choose just to be up doing crackhead? I don't know. I think she's a really interesting character. Yeah. And it's also super weird that he's just running around the grounds at night. Like, knowing that that's the grandfather, like, doesn't make that any less creepy. (laughs) Like, the... 
I think it's interesting that they yes. both stay moving. My question is, is it thing like if they go to sleep, do they lose control? I don't know. Is this oh. because they they're both like running around the house? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think those th- those are two characters I would like to know more about. I feel like this movie does a really good job of striking at the exact right level of what you need to know in terms of lore. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's a conversation we'll probably have for a long time with us <laughs> next week. Yeah. Peel has clearly thought out all of like the different angles of this, right? But I think you see just enough to get the story working. Like the fact that like there's a flash takes them out of it like that raises 50 more questions but they're like you don't need to think about that here's how it works (laughs) and it's going to pay off later now we're going to talk about something else and you don't need to know you don't need to know so that was betty gabriel playing georgina emmett who is your mvp well i'm gonna do a little bit of this classic gaming of the system because i think (laughs) because you know that i love lakeith stanfield in this movie (laughs) But I also think that you really love him in this movie. (laughs) And will feel obligated to pick him if I don't. So I am going to say that the brother is my MVP. Mm. uh, Because he is so exciting to watch and so creepy. And he's he's like a constant menace. He's like the one where there's just like unbridled menace from the moment that he's there. You're like, oh, there's something bad Mm. happening. And, like, all of the talk about, like, oh, come on, don't you want to fight, like, racist stuff that he's saying in that. But then also just, like, he's like, I don't want to fight with a drunk guy. I love the X-Men connection. Mm-hmm. Wade, who's your MVP OTC? <laughs> well, you've clearly lobbed me up for one. I do <laughs> love Lakeith in this. And as I've said, he's one of my, my three favorite working actors. Uh-huh. But I actually, I went a little different in this because I think that all of the core roles are really well played. Mm-hmm. Like I think all of whatever, the family and Chris and and the servants and Lil Rel, like all of that is perfect casting. Yeah. And we didn't even really mention it, but the parents are like sitcom actors too. Like not even people mm-hmm. who you would first think of for like horror or for prestige drama or whatever. But I think everyone is so good. I mean, Allison Williams is a sitcom actor, right? She's on Girls. Oh. But because of that, I went minor, minor character. And my MVP is Erica Alexander playing Detective Latoya. Oh, <laughs> Who I think is so good and and so funny in that one scene where she just really destroys it, which is at like the height of the tension, mm-hmm. as we were mentioning earlier. And it feels because her performance is so captivating and she does such a good job of like acting like she's taking Lil Rel seriously. It seems in that moment like she is about to be the hero of the movie. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. Like you feel like this is about to be a movie about her coming and busting up the place and murdering all of the family, which I would definitely like to see too. <laughs> but then she just like also kills that comedic beat and then is gone. And I think makes a big impression out of a little scene. Yeah. And see, that's why I think the Oscars should definitely have like a best featured actor category. Mm. Like people that are just there for one scene, but just really go in there and do the damn thing, you know, like, then you would get, you know, if they did that, they would, you would have like Brad Pitt showing up in every movie for 30 seconds trying to game the system. It would be people who never want to Oscars like, hey, I only need two minutes, two minutes in your movie. Just, just two minutes. That's all I need. 
You just have like Eddie Murphy playing an octopus in an animated film. Like Glenn Close is suddenly an Ant Man three for two scenes. <laughs> <laughs> She's already a part of the Marvel universe. Um, is that her in Guardians? Oh, yeah, it is. is. Yeah, yeah. She's good in that. She is. Is she in two? Um, I think she probably is. I don't want to wrap this up without mentioning a, a major cultural element of this, but I actually have very little context on it whatsoever. So I was hoping that we can all kind of like suss this out together. But it is like an iconic moment from pop culture that Kanye West said that this movie was about his life. <laughs> Okay, how much time do we have to talk about this? Okay, lay it on me. What we can make time. We can make the time. Um, not only do I believe that to be true. (laughs) Sure. sure. (laughs) Not only do I believe it to be true. Like, but I mean, I think it's true because the Get Out is a very inverted Othellian tale. Mm -hmm. It's Mm. Othello if Othello was given a lot more dignity. And I mm. think that mm. Kanye West's life is also a very Othellian tale. <laughs> and I think that's the mm. bridge of commonality. But, like, I mean, what is Kanye trying to tell us, you know? like, Well, whose brain know. do you think they have up in Kanye's head now? <laughs> oh, Gary Busey. Oh, Gary Busey's still alive. But that's the problem. <laughs> oh, if Gary man. Busey wasn't still alive, it's definitely Gary Busey. <laughs> Another big pop culture moment that I thought a lot about watching the film this time was this season of The Bachelor. Oh my god, yeah. Another Othellian tale. <laughs> uh, yeah, truly. <laughs> DeAndre, are you up on The Bachelor? Have you seen all of this stuff going on? Okay, so let me tell you. My only knowledge of The Bachelor is I watched The Bachelor this season that it was The Black Bachelorette. So I only know this man mm-hmm. from that season because that's the season he was from. And that is the, the Tasha cre- season. Yes. That is the creepiest man I have ever seen on television. He gives me weird <laughs> energy. I don't know what he's done. I don't know what he's done on his season, but that man gives me like takes skin off and eats it as a fruit roll up energy. Like I just don't know. Like oh. <laughs> well, this this is Powerful. the scoop. This will be old news, I guess, by the time this comes out, but it just sort of all played out this week as we record it. The bachelor of this season, Matt James, was the first black man to be a bachelor. Uh, when the show started airing, it was like uncovered by people that one of the women on it who was be a contestant on it to try and end up with Matt had been to a antebellum party in college. Oh. And all these pictures came out of her at this, like, Old South Plantation party. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, this huge controversy where also, like, the host of the show came up and, like, loudly defended her and then got temporarily, potentially permanently removed (laughs) for doing all of that. And so that was all, like, right when the show started airing. And then the show, the season just stopped airing. And we found out that she was the one he picked. Oh! Yeah, She ended up with him. So it ends with this happy moment. And then it cuts to like a week ago because they do this like after the final rose, which is like, where are they now? And it was just like absolutely crazy. It was like the most like real and disturbing and harrowing thing I've seen on reality television. So did did they get him 
camera when they told him? No, but you see him now, and he has, like, <laughs> grown this gigantic beard. He's grown a grief beard. <laughs> he really has, and it was... It's so funny looking at him and imagining it, but then, like, when you watched him and the woman together, and the woman is, like, apologize, she's trying to be with him, but he, like, can't... He can't do it, and he's just, like, sitting there frozen in horror at the situation on television. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. I feel really bad for him. Yeah, I feel horrible for him, too. And the thing that he said that was, like, so resonant with me is that he was like, the problem isn't that it's not like you were like, hey, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done it. It wasn't me. It was that, like, he had to explain to her why that was a bad thing. Oh, no. That just, like, she just didn't get it at all. And even when people started getting mad, she was like, why are they mad? I don't get it. I don't know this man, but pour one out for him. <laughs> My gosh. I take back yeah, the Fruit Loop skin comment. You know, this man has obviously <laughs> been through a lot. He did freak me out when I first saw him, but homeboy's going through it. I'm all about black solidarity. I take back the skin comment. Um, <laughs> I'll pour one out for that guy. Gosh. For real. For real. I would for hate real. to be in his shoes, man. Oh man, DeAndre, any final thoughts about Get Out? I'm sure we could all be here for four more hours talking about this movie. No, this has been like such a dope experience, and I'm so glad I was able to do this. It was amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Emmett. Any final thoughts? Get Out. Honestly, not really. I think we've covered a lot of the stuff. It's just really good. Go watch it. There's so many very specific weird little moments and also get this a lot of those people who are at the party are local hire so that's interesting (laughs) yeah that's like one of the trivia things um they're all from around there because they didn't like only the main cast was able to like be flown in from la everybody else was just like whoever they could find down in uh, mobile alabama i think is near where it was filmed that makes a lot of sense which is just like why you get like such a strange little array of people in that scene i think jordan peele shows in his directorial debut that he is 100 percent in control of every aspect of the storytelling in the film mm. and i think it's like a true pleasure to see a debut like that for real yeah he should i mean he should have won best director you know how we say, what we say about the Oscars. So, uh, wait, any final thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> totally agree with you. I think it's unbelievable that this is a debut. I love this movie. I was so excited to rewatch it and talk about it. I would vote for this movie for a third term if I could. <laughs> I will say something I wrote down is that the ending to this movie is kind of the inverse of another movie I liked that we watched recently, Promising Young Woman, mm. oh, which yeah. I will... I will delicately dance around this topic, but I think the ultimate decision to go with the ending of this movie versus that original cut we were talking about uh-huh. is that like you get the bleak, horrible moment, and then it still gives you a winning, triumphant ending. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like the the bleak moment is the fake one, right? And I think in Promising a Woman, they give you sort of like a real bleak ending and then you get like a fake triumph at the end 
that's an interesting so to speak yeah and i think that's probably like even though i it's definitely like making a statement right but i think that's less satisfying than than here where they prove the point and then you still get like the joy of the end yeah Mm. that one thing has gone right (laughs) well i think that's the power of friendship because in that movie her friend is already dead oh damn and in this movie it's his friend who comes and saves his bacon Mm. that's true and you know what rod is a real friend honest i will say that we would all be lucky to have a friend that's true that's really true i mean he's out here driving all the way out into the country just to come looking for him because he hasn't called back in a couple days just because he's got some crazy crackpot theory about what it is that's going on, he doesn't even know for real. But he drove to the TSA office, got a work. <laughs> I think about that all the time. It's like, how did he? He's got to explain this on Monday when he goes back to work. So, uh, Mr. Rod, you um took out a squad car. Yes, sir, I did. Why? None of your business. <laughs> all right, you're fired from the TSA. All right. <laughs> No, he was going to write this off as a work expense. That's why he did it. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't going to pay for all that gas. <laughs> he writes it off on his tax form. So why were you at the scene of a mass fire and murder? Um, <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, so I spent about 40 on gas. So if I could just get that refunded, answer the question, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, DeAndre, thank you so much for being here. It's a, truly an honor to have you on. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. Where can the people find you online? Are there any projects you're working on that you'd like to plug while you're here? Yeah, let me plug a couple things. So you can find me on Instagram at weaver.deandre and you can find me on YouTube at I Have Opinions. I post semi-regularly. I do video essays. I do film reviews. I try to keep it fun and light and give you some new opinions. So go ahead and check me out on there. If you like this content. If you don't, you know, but if you think I'm entertaining... You know where to find me. You should all definitely check out I Have Opinions. It's great. I love watching it. Uh, And it's a lot more timely than the stuff that we get to do here. So if you want to hear about some actually new movies and news, (laughs) you should check that out. Well, we will be back uh, next week talking about Us, the last film in our Jordan Peele miniseries. Can't believe we're already here. Coming up on Just Little Three. Just Little Three. Can't wait to watch his Candyman new one that he wrote coming out this year. And can't wait to see that Summer 22 get out too. Yeah, very excited. We also got to put the Candyman movies on the list. This list just keeps growing and growing and growing. <laughs> it's wild. You know if we really do The Conjuring, it's probably going to take us like four months to watch all of those movies. Jeez, probably so. It'll be time well spent, I say. Fair enough. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.